Irish painter Derek Hill writes, The story of my meeting with James Dixon has often been told. I was painting a harbor scene on the island one Sunday morning, and when the islanders came out of mass, several of them stopped on their way home to watch me. I could do better than that, said James, and naturally I asked him why then he didn't do it. No materials, James said. And that's how it all began. Derek Hill continues, I don't think when James commented on my pictures, he meant to criticize my possible technical ability, that representational detail. Luke Batterham wrote in a thesis on Dixon, it was just that the studied, restrained pictorialism employed by Derek Hill to represent the island bore little relation to the Irishman's own experience of the place on which he had spent almost his entire life. Words of Irish artist Derek Hill about the self-taught painter James Dixon in the Irish Arts Review Yearbook in 1993. That story was told to American artist Brian Keeler on his most recent trip to Ireland, where he had many encounters and heard many tales. He met an older woman in Dublin who shared stories of Derrick Hill and life as she'd experienced it there. And Keeler painted her, shaped by their one-on-one -on -one encounter. But Brian Keeler is also a painter steeped in the tradition, and in Dublin he had an encounter with a great artist from the past, Caravaggio, and he studied especially the light as rendered by the master in the painting he was seeing for the first time. So Brian Keeler was nourished on all those levels by his travels. And today, on St. Patrick's Day, we'll learn more from Brian Keeler about that sojourn in Ireland. Brian Keeler is the son of a Sunday painter and newspaper editor, William W. Keeler, no longer with us. And he credits his father for sparking his initial interest in art. Keeler received his early training at Keystone College in La Plume and at the York Academy of Arts in Southern Pennsylvania. In 2013, North Light Books published a beautiful hardcover art instruction book by Brian Keeler titled Dramatic Color in the Landscape. He maintains a studio in his hometown of Wyalusing, Pennsylvania, though he lives and has a studio in Ithaca, New York, the Keeler North Star Studio. And we had a chance to speak with him at the time of a show at the Laura Craig Galleries about what was going on with those Irish landscapes. I was recently listening to um, Rick Steves, and he was interviewing another uh, travel person. And retired people go to places, and they just kind of rush through. And what he was advocating for them was to sit down and draw, no matter if you have any drawing ability or not, just to sit there and, and draw. And what it does is it forces you to just appreciate it and stay someplace for you know a half hour or an hour to look at the place. And so I was thinking, well, I'm, I'm doing the right thing already. <laughs> And uh, that's what I like about going to museums. I talked about in the blog that I go to museums whenever I travel. And the National Gallery of Ireland in Dublin was, is really a world-class museum. And um, I discovered this Caravaggio there that I hadn't seen before. That's been part of my motivation for going to uh, Italy is uh, uh, looking for all the Caravaggios. And I've seen most of them in, in uh, Rome and other places in Italy and uh, in the United States too. So I discovered this uh, major piece, and it was uh, only discovered 
like in around 1995 or 2000, and it was in a Jesuit house in, in Dublin. It had been there, you know, for 400 years, and it was a major painting that was called The, uh, the Finding of Christ. It was when Judas kisses Christ, and he's uh, revealed to the Roman, Roman soldiers, and it's just an incredible piece. So I just sat there and drew from it, and during that process, I'm discovering things that, you know, you don't get on a, on a cursory uh, glance, and there's some statistic that says that people, when they go to a museum, they usually just spend like between three to five seconds because we're always in a hurry and you want to get through the whole thing. Like you're in the Metropolitan Museum, it's got 3,000 paintings. And so if you sit down to draw and sketch, it's, uh, it, you start seeing things that you wouldn't in that kind of hurried pace. What are the kinds of things that draw you so to travel to see Caravaggio? Yeah, well, he's known for his light too, but it's a different type of light. I'm usually painting uh, landscapes, but he has this very dramatic light. In fact, he's sort of the inventor of it. We think of Rembrandt as a painter of light too, but Caravaggio was really the person that started it all off and sort of separated himself from the Renaissance. We think of uh, Raphael's very kind of soft and nuanced color. Then Caravaggio took like dramatic, like, like a spotlight, and has this very contrasty uh, light and dark, a very dramatic lighting. I uh, had a teacher in art school, uh, Virgil Sova, that said he wasn't really a fan of uh, Caravaggio and Rembrandt because he said, you know, the half tone gets lost, the in, in between tone places, because it's almost black and white, but it also adds to the drama of it. And in this particular room in the National Gallery in Ireland, they had a, another painter. Uh, Garrett von Hanhorst, and we saw a uh, retrospective of his at the Uffizi several years ago. He's almost more of a favorite of mine than, uh, he's more of a Caravaggio than Caravaggio is, if that's possible, because his work has more luminosity. He doesn't go quite for the black and uh, white. He has these wonderful golden glowy things, but you can tell he's uh, Caravaggisti, as they say, (laughs) of the school of Caravaggio. So that's what's nice about museums. They usually have the rooms kind of thematically uh, arranged. (laughs) And I think while we're talking about the tradition, Brian, one of the things that you also bring to our attention is that you found some Irish painters who were intriguing, speaking of Yeats, Jack B., right? Right. That's right, yeah. Jack B. and his father, John Yeats, was the father of William Butler Yeats, and then uh, William Butler Yeats's brother, Jack B. Yeats. It gets a little confusing there, but they had uh, a sizable collection of their works in in the gallery in, in Dublin. And also, on these shores, you learned about a tie between Rockwell, Kent, and Ireland. Exactly, yeah, that was surprising. I didn't know about that till I was at a, a pub in, in Ireland, or I think we saw some literature, too, but these musicians in the uh, in the pub told me about that. So, uh, you know, I knew of Rockwell, Kent from Maine, and I, and I loved his work, and I've seen his illustrations, but I, I didn't know that he had a connection to Ireland, too, so... I began reading about him there, and he had this leftist policy. You know, it was very much in line with other painters at the time, like uh, Grant Wood and uh, Thomas Hart Benton, too. They were, you know, they were very uh, outspoken in their uh, political beliefs, too. So Rockwell Kent was the same. So it it was a, a thrill to, uh, in fact, this one on the cover here, I just saw a painting that uh, Rockwell Kent had done at the same spot. It's called uh, Glen Column Kill, and so it's another one of those serendipitous or synchronistic incidences where Rockwell Kent was at the same spot that that I was at there, too. And uh, this is in County Donegal in in the far northwest. Then I discovered a couple of Irish painters that I hadn't heard of before. Uh, Derek Hill was one, and we visited his studio in County Donegal, and... uh, 
had great stories about him. They had a wonderful docent that gave us a tour of the house, and it's sort of preserved like Cezanne's house in Aix-en-Provence. It's just like it was when he was painting there, but there's this uh, sort of apocryphal story where he, he went to this island, I think it was called the Tory Island off of Northwest Ireland, and this old man came up to him and said, you know, I can paint better than that. <laughs> And so uh, Derek Hill took him under his wing, and he he fostered him as a painter. And I think they had exchange programs between Philadelphia and and Ireland for these painters uh, of the Irish uh, coast and heartland. And you clearly have a fondness for James Joyce. Yes, that was another uh, interesting aspect of it too. I've been reading mostly. I've been reading about Joyce through his uh, interpreters, and they're very uh, enjoyable. There's. This one book by uh, Declan Kibbard is his name. He's a scholar from uh, Dublin, but he really unpacks the whole novel. The novel is very dense and, and difficult to read, and uh, so it, it takes uh, scholars to kind of unpack it for us. But it's a, a fascinating story. And, and so to be in Dublin while I was painting along the Liffey, uh, these goals started coming in, and they were getting really close to my painting. And there's a couple of incidences in Ulysses where I Joyce is throwing bread up to the uh, birds and trying to fool them with, with paper. He's throwing paper up to it, and the gulls weren't fooled by it. But part of the thing is he imagines himself as a gull. That's part of the thing with uh, Ulysses, he, his empathy with other people and other animals. At a certain time, he pretends he's a, a cat and, you know, wonder what the world looks like through a cat. And, and then there's this other incident. We were coming across the O'Connell Bridge. It's right in central Dublin. And and we encountered this blind man, and there was a, a central a part of, of the story in Ulysses where he encounters this, uh, he calls him a blind stripling, and so he kind of enters into what it would be like to be blind and, and how the other senses kind of become uh, augmented because of being blind. You might hear better or feel better, or, or the other senses become uh, somehow uh, increased. And uh, so that happened, and there were several other incidences like that. Uh, so that was a, a fun aspect of it, uh, too. And a portrait came out. Yes. I was sort of uh, following Joyce's footsteps, and the uh, novel Ulysses starts at this place called the Martello Tower, and it's on the uh, Dublin Bay there. And so I went out there, and it wasn't. It was a beautiful day, but the, it was just kind of flat, and the tide was out, and I didn't really see anything that seemed compelling. But this elderly woman saw me uh, carrying my uh, easel and art supplies, and so she struck up a conversation with me. So I ended up talking with her for several hours, a couple hours there that morning, and I think she was a homeless woman, but she just had a great personality. Everybody kind of knew her there. She was like the uh, the matron or the maven of the uh, of the Martello Tower. And so I, it's just like I know I had to paint this person because she had such an, an engaging personality. She was a, a gentle soul, and and she knew all about Derek Hill too. And she knew all these stories. And she said, "No, you don't have it right." She had to correct me on a few things. <laughs> And she fits into a type of a portrait called a trony. It's, I think it's a Dutch word that they used to describe when Rembrandt would be painting somebody, like an elderly person, like he painted his, his mother and father when they were very elderly. It's sort of like a type or an archetype of a person. And there's also another famous one by Giorgione, and it has this inscription. It's a, a painting of an elderly woman, and it, the inscription says something like, in time you will be like me too. So it's kind of like a visual essay on the uh, fragility of life and the impermanence of life and that we're all mortal and we may be young at a certain time and think that it's going to go on forever, but uh, we're all only here for a very short time, <laughs> sort of the message of these uh, types of portraits. And you also have, I would think, meditations on time in that you do capture 
the sun at certain points or the evening, and we think about the passage of time as the globe turns, but also there is that superstructure of the rocks and the cliff and so forth. So you have the passing of time, but you also have that sense of deep time as well in what you do. Exactly, yeah. I guess I I hadn't thought of that, but that's certainly true. Uh, Places uh, all along the coast there of these craggy coastlines with Cliffs of Moore and other places. There's another dramatic cliff called uh, Glen Sleeve. It's up in the north, and it's, they're just incredible. I think they're the highest cliffs in in uh, Europe. I don't know what the height is, but they are very dramatic, and uh, so we painted it at both places. So that's an interesting corollary. They're two of the uh, sort of less, uh, ch- changing less fast of, of those places like that, and the Burren and the uh, Aran Islands, too. You know, they've been there for millions and millions of years, and so it changes slower there for for these t- types of geological things. When you immerse yourself in a landscape like Ireland, what did you learn from your particular interaction with the landscape, not just the painters and the authors, but what did you learn this time from just being there and seeing and smelling and feeling and hearing and all of that? Yeah, I think part of it is uh, opening myself to uh, other kinds of, of lighting conditions. I I kind of favor the golden hour, and I, I love to paint that type of lighting, sunlight, just like on the drive down here today. It was a beautiful sunny day, and, and it's just a, a natural inclination. But um, in Ireland, it's known for its its mist and uh, and, and rain, so I painted no matter what the, the weather was. Even if it was windy, I would put myself in, in our rental car with the door propped open. And so discovering the uh, the nuances of, of grayness, the, the beauty of a, of a limited palette, is one of the things, and I painted out there in the in the rain, and, and the mist is, is incredibly penetrating. Like when it's rain, you can just cover yourself with an umbrella, or, but the mist kind of comes at you from everywhere. <laughs> so you really have to go out with the rainproof pants and stuff, which I didn't have. So that was uh, so one of the things there is just opening up to other uh, lighting conditions. <laughs> People might not know, but you are a musician, and so when you do talk and use musical analogies with regard to things visual, it's based in your understanding of music from the inside because you make music as well. We did uh, avail ourselves of the music there, too. They have a wonderful, uh, what they call a trad music, traditional music in the pubs, and we were there in a bank holiday in this one town about the size of Wailusing had three pubs with just incredible music. It was very informal, too. You know, they would just kind of be sitting around, and, and we could sit next to them. And they played this waltz, and I asked the, the fiddle player, well, do you know the name? They said, you know, I, I don't know the name of it, but I, I know the history because we believe it to be over a 1,000 years old because it went to Iceland or Greenland, and it was lost in Ireland, and then it came back sometime recently so they could somehow figure out that, you know, it was a 1,000 years old old <laughs> so that was that was fun and we danced in a couple of these pubs that are swing dancing balbo and and this one old timer came up to me and said that was the best thing i've i've ever seen that just you just made my night and i saw him the next day in the pub and he was telling people yeah this is the guy that was dancing there so that was a that was a, a big thrill too you bring us these beautiful images and i use the word deliberately beautiful images of the landscape wherever you are mm-hmm. in your way of viewing life and living. Where does beauty fit like this? What does this do for us as humans? Yeah, that's a good question. I I like to think of it as sort of being life affirming and sort of a a positive ode to 
the hectic and uh, troublesome nature of uh, that we're confronted with and, and so many aspects of, of life is, is challenging. So maybe this is sort of a, a refuge in a way to contemplate the uh, sort of the more universal aspects of, of, of nature and, and life and to, to offer sort of a, a message of altruism or hope. <laughs> Artist Brian Keeler, a native of Wyalusing, Pennsylvania, speaking with us about his trip to Ireland and the painting experiences there. Brian Keeler has an exhibition at the North Star Gallery in Ithaca, New York, titled Eurythmic Light, American Pastoral Landscapes. It's a celebration of the beauty, and there's that word again, the beauty of rural landscapes of the Northeast, mostly the Susquehanna region of Pennsylvania and the Finger Lakes of New York. The exhibit runs through the end of April, so now through the end of April, and you can see it by making an appointment, by calling or emailing, and the North Star Gallery is just east of Cornell. And if you need directions and want to make contact with Brian Keeler, it's on the web at northstarartgallery.com, northstarartgallery.com. And you'll see his American works in this show, Eurythmic Light, American Pastoral Landscapes. And that's at the North Star Gallery in Ithaca, 743 Snyder Hill Road, and he maintains his studio in Wyalusing as well. NorthStarArtGallery.com, NorthStarArtGallery.com. And he is an active blogger, and he has a blog essay about this show, Eurythmic Light, and you can read about that on his website, NorthStarArtGallery.com. <laughs> 